It's time for building the game, the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. At the end of the episode, that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, October 9th, and you're listening to episode 593. As always, I am your host, Jason. Here today, joined for the large number of time by one of our co-hosts that is jamie sabriel hello jamie konnichiwa hello so i don't have the list pulled up to know how long it's been i mean how many times it's been so i believe this is number 16 it's somewhere in there yeah yeah you're, yeah. you're pushing 20 teens. you're gonna get there yes i'm i'm almost a verified adult or something <laughs> <laughs> verifiable right, right, right. adult yes yes yeah, I uh, yesterday got carded buying beer, which was funny nice. to me because, um, uh, yeah, because I'm <laughs> more than twice the age you need to be to buy beer. I had to do the math there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really thought that you were just going to not follow no, up with anything. You were no. just going to like trail off into nothing and just <laughs> leave no. it to me to fill in the gap, which would have been awesome. Age math, my least favorite math. But it, it's funny oh, because... I uh, like so my I have this in my wallet. My license is in there. It's like behind plastic, you know, like you slide it into the thing. And yeah. um, and I pulled it out and held it in front of the lady for like she goes, OK, it was literally I feel like a tenth of a second. And then I watched her type the birthday. And I was like, she's just BS in this. Like she was like, he's old, whatever. And she <laughs> typed in my actual birthday. Like and I'm like, how did you see that so fast? She's like, wow, like, practice. So I was like, I guess so. Like, yeah. my goodness. So many times I feel like they're just like one one nineteen oh one ho ho ho, but um, <laughs> this one hundred and twenty four year old person or one hundred and twenty three year old person's buying beer, you know. I mean, true. why not? Right, and it's funny because I rarely ever buy beer, but there's a kind of beer that I've tried before that I enjoy, and uh, it was a new one version of it that came out, and it had a new cap on the bottle, and uh, mm. I have this cool Michigan map um, that is. Uh, has like 150 different like drilled holes in it that fit bottle caps Whoa. and you place it with like you're supposed to just do it with bottle caps of beer but actually i probably got like 40 bottle caps of michigan sodas because i think that's i'd actually would do all sodas if i could um but i can't so are there not, not enough, enough sodas yeah there's just not oh, enough gosh. and the and, and i would say 20 of the caps are from the same brewery which is bell's uh because that's based out of kalamazoo it's a national brewery now but it's based out of kalamazoo and they make a crap ton of different stuff. So fun. Con yeah. It continues to be one of my favorite names for a city, by the way. Kalamazoo. Oh, yeah. It's great. Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kazoo, as we call it. Yeah. Oh, Kazoo for short. Yeah. Just because um, it's Kalamazoo is a lot to type to, to say. So Kazoo <laughs> is usually what we put. Kazoo. Yeah. K-Z-O-O. -O. Or our A-Z-O, which is our airport. So. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's for people in the know. Yeah, yeah that's how that's how you know you're one of the you're like in the club you're in the right. club we don't talk about some people try to be like you know the zoo and i'm like no the zoo like, it's not detroit or something like that it's not like a big city <laughs> with like a bunch of crazy stuff going on right i say detroit because that's our big city i mean it could be any big city right right right, right. you know but like new york zoo york right like that is <laughs> more well earned than kalamazoo being the zoo like, yeah oh golly yeah you're not wrong um yeah i i am also at the age i can now officially say that i have forgotten my age at least one time so <laughs> so i'm right there with you and it's it's uh i have i have a baby face i have a baby face mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. that's it's led to a lot more issues than just getting carded at right. 34 uh it's it's wild. I'm so excited for the time I actually look my age. And then, of course, I say that and it's going to be like a switch flips and I'm going to age 50 yeah, years overnight. Yeah. I'm like, you're going to do the Dick Clark where you're like, I, you look uh, real good for a long time. Then all of a sudden, boom, like age. Yeah, you know. I it's uh, I'm really like summoning the monkey paw here by right. saying that. <laughs> right, <out loud>. right, <laughs> right. I I look a lot younger when I don't have a beard, but I always have a beard. Um to cover most of my dumb face is the idea. I think so. if I ever saw you without a beard, I might like pull a hernia from jumping back in shock. <laughs> you know, I have had uh, a beard and or you know like thick stubble for twenty plus years now. So 
Wow. I've, I have not been clean shaven in a very, very long time. I used to have just a goatee, but this is uh, the facial hairs of Jason's Lingerland on this episode of Building <laughs> the Game. That's uh, that's what we're naming the episode, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, that was a lot of talk about weird stuff there. That's okay, we love though. Weird Sometimes stuff. we do that. How have you been? Yeah. Uh, what What have you been up to lately? Anything? Um, I I mean, the big exciting news is that uh, I get paid to watch anime now. Um, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so. I that's the joke that I've been running with. And then, of course, yesterday I actually sat down. Okay, so for context, um, I can tell you the company, but not the game. I've been hired by Kesco for a game design and development contract, which is very cool. Congrats. Thank you. Um, so I am desi- I'm the lead designer and developer on a game. I'm making it all from scratch from my brain. And it is for a specific anime IP that they got and asked me to make. Excuse me. Um, and so it's an anime that I've seen before and I like a lot and it's very cool and I'm very excited mm-hmm. and it's big, big, big popular. Um, I can't tell you what it is yet, but maybe on the next episode I can um, or a couple episodes from now. Uh, it should come out at Origins, so it's a pretty quick turnaround time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, so I've been joking leading up to starting to work on it yesterday that like, oh, I'm going to get paid a bunch of dollars an hour to watch anime. Isn't that fun? Right. Knowing right, that, right. of course, that like that was just me being cheeky. Um, and then I sat down and I watched the first episode and it's like, you know, normal, normal runtime kind of anime, you know, 26 episodes. Each episode is a little over 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me over an hour just to watch the first episode because I was like applying my game design analysis brain mm-hmm. to it and just like taking constant notes and like pausing, taking the notes, pause it, write that quote down, pause mm-hmm. it, pay attention to the cinematography, all that other stuff, um, which is wild. I've never done that for a piece of media before. Right, um, right. So that was that was pretty cool. I mean, games are media, of course, but I've never no, done but I, I know visual what you mean. media. I, uh, myself and a couple others were asked one time to put together a pitch for uh, a cartoon. Um, and just because Ooh. I'm not supposed to say the company, so I won't say what the cartoon is because the game is actually out now. I, we didn't end up getting the contract. They asked a couple different people and I watched a few clips of the show and I was very unfamiliar with the show. It was it was very much in my era. So I should have been more familiar with it, but it didn't really appeal to me growing up. Um, and I went back and watched some clips of it and myself and the other designer um, were like, okay, we can throw these ideas together. And so we, we, they had given us some direction. So we threw all the ideas together um, and we, uh, we pitched it and they turned it down. And the game that ended up coming out was not super different than what we were pitching. I'm sure their idea was probably mm. just, a little better and a little more baked in with the theme because the theme was a weak spot for us. But because they had said, we want these specific boxes checked, that's just how it was going to be. But my co-designer was like, you know, I mean, this is a bummer, but in the end, we don't have to spend 40 to a hundred hours watching episodes of this show that we don't really want to watch. I was like, (laughs) that is true. And it wasn't one where like we saw it because, you know, sometimes you'll see it like in your case, like you see an IP and think, oh, I would like to do that one. Yeah. You know, this was I have hey, a lot of IPs an IP in, we have. The They're pocket. paying us to make it. Can you do it? And yeah, it's like of all the IPs like this was not the one we would pick. Um, and I don't know how the game did. I know it's out. I've seen it around a couple of times, but I've never heard it making like a big splashing like that. So I, I, I don't know. I think yeah. those nostalgia IPs, it really depends. Right. I think anime is one where actually it has more impact because anime fans tend to be very devoted right whereas you know i think there are pockets of excitable fans when it comes to cartoons from our childhood but i mean unless it's something like teenage mutant ninja turtles or something um it's just not as big of a you know like ooh. Yeah, uh, I this, can think this of was a... not that. If it was Ninja Turtles, I'd been very sad that we didn't get it. And also, <laughs> I would have known so much about it that it would have mattered, yeah. you know. And I have I have two interest two responses that I hope are interesting. Um one is, yeah, so going back to the nostalgia cartoons, yeah, I I think it's like nostalgia cartoons, especially in western culture, mm-hmm. they sit in this weird spot of like, oh, it's cool to think about and then you go back and watch it and it's like why yeah why mm, did i yeah, do that yeah. um whereas anime i think is a little bit different i think that more modern cartoons i think would be way bigger 
Um, and that's something that I want to look into. So talking stuff that's come out in the past few years, like a Kipo, She-Ra, um, what are with the Owl House, stuff like that. I think yeah, those would yeah. like people would eat that up. Uh, yeah, I would eat yeah. that up for sure. Um, but yeah, I agree that anime fans are really devoted. And there's actually something really interesting. So I always saw, you know, prior to talking to Kesco, I always saw IP games as like, mm, I'm not really interested because I would, I just want to go experience the IP. And I don't have a lot of faith that whoever, whichever company has this is doing right by the game. Like it feels like a cash grab kind of a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I have a new perspective on that after talking to Kesco. So one of the the more popular games they did recently came out, I think at Gen Con or a little before is the Spy X Family game. Spy X Family, of course, a very popular anime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I got a really cool perspective there where the Spy X Family game is not trying to recreate the show. It's trying to be a, a small homage and supplement to the show. And That's the good, main yeah. thing that they said to me when they were like, yeah, this, your pitch for this secret IP that's secret right now, um, we are accepting it because us playing the game makes me want to watch the show. And I was like, that right, is right. cool and makes sense. It's it's not trying to, uh, it, it's, it's just trying to uplift the show a little bit. It's not mm-hmm, trying to mm-hmm. like supplant the show as the main way people ingest the media. And I thought that was yeah. really cool. I think that's I think that's really really good. You know, um, two things I want to point out around that. One is one nostalgia fest that if you go back and watch that is still perfection is Batman the animated series, which I think will go down <laughs> in history as one of the best uh, anime animation shows. Not anime. I meant to say animation, and then I stopped short for some reason. Uh, <laughs> shows that ever existed um, and will ever exist. Uh, it is just pure fan fantasticalness that's just so great mm-hmm. um the other thing that I, I think you know one of the things i've heard about in numerous places and so i don't think this is a secret but like people have tweeted about this like looking for different people are like hey we're looking to do like a bluey game or a bluey role-playing game or something like that and and i think about something like that as i was thinking about that like i didn't even bother to submit a pitch for a bluey rpg because i i love bluey i watch it with my kids uh and then i cry and they don't cry Mm. but like you know like um bluey is just it is a show about parents and kids but it is it is a show that will remind you of the nostalgia of yourself growing up and then also if you're a parent it's got a lot of the parent nostalgia tied in and even if you're not i mean i know plenty of people who aren't parents who thinks the show think the show is phenomenal Mm -hmm. um but when i think about like an rpg based on that i think of it like you just described as that extension of homage to the show where we can create stories that feel like we're in the show and that make me want to go back and reflect on that and that we can pull fun things from the show you know whereas i think of like a board game for like a run around the board and do these things like like i don't like you're either recreating an episode or it's a new adventure, but you've done it once, right? Or it's generic, and that's not what's the point of that, you know? Right. Um, if it's generic, it might as well be Bluey Monopoly, which could be fantastic. Animal Crossing <laughs> Monopoly is super solid, um, but yeah, that's that's just kind of the my thoughts on that area. So I I, I think for the most part, I were on the same page around that. Yeah. And it's an interesting thought process. It's a whole different approach to the design of the game. And there's a lot of other like nuanced bits to it too. Like, uh, I don't know if you um, experienced this with any IP games that you have worked on, but um, I have a limited and specific range of art assets that I can use based oh, on what right. the licensor gives right. us. And so that's super interesting too, of like, cause I am a top down designer and I already have like the jet, like I have the, the, it's in early development now, the game, I, it, cause I pitched it and all this other stuff. And I, I have a core system that I really like, and I might have to change it pretty drastically based on what art assets I can and can't use. So that's going to be interesting. Um, I don't have those art assets yet. I get them this week, but um, that's another thing that's on my mind of like this whole process is so wildly different, even from the other time I was hired to contract, mm-hmm. uh, develop a game. 
which is yeah cool. art assets like that are you know having something limited like that is an interesting limitation right you yeah know, for sure certainly i think we've all seen before with games where a publisher might say listen i can afford x pieces of art for this right so that's what we're going to use. But because you are, as the designer, helping to say, here's what I think we need to have visualized, right? And you, of course, you may not have the final say on that, but you have some input. But to mm -hmm. say, here's, we already did the art for this game, right? Essentially, we're going to yeah. need you to make that work. That's tough. Like that can yeah. really be limiting. I think sometimes that can be good limiting as limitations can sometimes be on design. Yeah. but. It, it can also be really tough if you had your heart set on including something and you're like, well, now I can't do that because that's not what's part of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the, the big concerns I have, because I haven't seen the art assets folder yet, is like the game includes this set of characters. And it could be mm -hmm. the case that like one or more of them is just not in the art. So I just can't do that. Um, right, and then I have to right. think of a new plan. Um, but another thing like and yeah, it's it's a double edged sword for sure, because I I am a top down designer through mm -hmm. and through. Um, right. I want to do that for the vast majority of my design work. And so it is, you know, these art assets are both going to be a source of inspiration and frustration. I'm calling it now. Mm -hmm. Put me on yep. the record as calling it. Thinking about like, <laughs> you're designing a Zelda game, right? Uh, let's say you're designing oh a Zelda game. Oh my God, I wish. And you, right? I mean, everyone wishes, <laughs> but I don't Oof. think that's ever going to happen. But No. Um, well, I mean, uh, Brace Yourself <clears throat> Games got the Zelda license. Are you familiar for, with Brace Yourself games? What do they do with this? Crypt of the Necrodancer. There's a Crypt of the Necrodancer for the Switch that's Zelda, and it's all oh. remixed Zelda tracks. I mean in I mean in video game. I mean in uh board games. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Well But so Yeah. Um but so anyway, like imagine that and you're like, okay, so I've based it around he's got the master sword, because that's how that works, you know, <laughs> and all these other like fundamental core things, and like, hey, here's the artwork. He doesn't have the master sword in any of them, which is ridiculous. But like, yeah, now you're like, yeah. oh, well, crap. So now I can't, you know, or like Ganon's the antagonist. Like, oh, we didn't get any art of Ganon. Sorry. But we didn't yeah. have any pictures you have of to Zelda. Use the it's the Midna Legend of Zelda. Yeah. I, all right. So hot take. I have a hot take about the Legend of Zelda series. Sure. Give me a Legend of Zelda game where I get to play as Zelda. And I have oh, to go yeah. find Link yeah. instead. Give me that. And I'm not talking about that weird, creepy, like, game from the 80s for the the, the two of them. The, for the, what was it? The Sega CD games? Is that what it was? You know what I'm talking about? Those I can't imagine there games? was a Sega CD game with you, Zelda. Because that's play, Genesis, That's Sega. Right. It's, uh, it, no, I think it, it's some kind of weird thing. There was a, there were two Legend of Zelda games. And they were this, like, weird, creepy cartoon style. And you did technically play as Zelda. But they were not, they were weird. I okay. They're like nightmare fuel, kind of. Um, There's um, I, I agree with you. There are numerous times I, I was really hoping in Tears of the Kingdom that would be the case. Spoiler, <gasps> it's not. Oh, oh um, God, I, I still seemed... haven't played it, and I was like, that was on the top of my mind, right, and right. you have crushed all my dreams. I am so yeah. Sad. I mean, the way the game is set up too, it's too bad because it's absolutely perfect for it. Ah. It would it would mean it would ruin some of the mystery. I mean, and. Hey, maybe you get to do a scene or something as Zelda, but I haven't got to it yet. And I mean, I'm ready to finish the game. So, um, and I feel like I'd heard about it if there was. That said, um, there is um, Age of Calamity, Hyrule Warriors, Age yeah, of Calamity. Yeah. And in that, you get to play as Zelda. It's just, I mean, it's just a fighting game. You get to play as multiple characters, but yeah, Zelda I know is, you can play is Sheik, too. pretty fun. Yeah, yes. And Impa and all sorts of different stuff. And it's it's a good time. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know, I can't, I have a bad wrist and I can't play it because it's so much button mashing that like, ah. even with a wrist brace on within 10 minutes, I feel like I'm going to die. Like my hand is going to fall off. Bummer. Um, so yeah, um, I agree. There's a new, uh, real quick, we'll get out of video games. So there's a new um, uh, Mario game coming out called Showtime Peach. And there is, yeah. it is all Peach. Um, I, and she's not I'm saving Mario, it. which is too bad, but um, she's doing her own thing and it looks fantastic. My daughter super stoked even my son is like this is really cool like you get to play as peach yeah. right um i'm excited i i saw the trailer and i was like i want to be fencer peach right. yeah that sounds rad now granted mario has been a little bit better about the inclusivity with that and the fact that you can in most of the newest games you can play peach is a, is one of the characters you can play as right right um you know and and we typically do in fact uh toadette i think in super mario wii u deluxe 
Toadette is by far the best character uh, in the game. And when she is the most powerful is when she gets this thing and turns into Peach. Um, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's funny. also Super Mario 2. Peach was the best character. And, um, you know, Luigi's kicky legs, though. Listen, listen, when I but was a young like float. you, I was like, Luigi's the best because I'm because I was super <laughs> good at that. I went back to play that game. And uh, and all I do with Luigi is jump real high and then die. Uh, so yep. <laughs> I use Peach That's and I just does. fly and it's great. Yep. Um, um, I will one one quick thing that I've been noticing. So I have been a little, you know, as someone who is very attuned to stuff like queer and non-binary representation in gaming, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have often been like hawking on Nintendo, hawking like H-A-W-K, but I realized it sounded like h-o-c-k which is much more gross and not yeah. what i'm doing mm-hmm. yep. um i've been ragging on nintendo for like how very straight their games are with like you know you're playing as mario and you save peach or you're playing as link and you save all the blah 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 um but they actually have been kicking it up pretty well over the past like i've been joking mm-hmm. that zelda chic is our like the closest thing that we will get to a gender fluid or non-binary character in games in mm-hmm. nintendo games for probably the next 30 years and then then like six months later splatoon 3 came out and it's like what if we just removed all the genders from all the characters they're all non-binary yeah it's like what yeah. uh so that's a cool thing in case you didn't know that all all the all the squid kids are non-binary now right um also kirby has always been notoriously non-binary uh they um, do use male pronouns for kirby unfortunately see, in everything that i've i literally just looked it back up again and it said it is implied that kirby does not have a gender or, or if they do that it is a mystery so in some cases they may, but yeah, I mean, it is apparently debated. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's more of a, a fanon rather than a canon because in canon references to him in Smash Ultimate and stuff, it's always really okay. Pronouns, yeah. Okay. Um, right. Speaking of best characters in Nintendo games, Peach is an absolute monster in Smash Ultimate. If you can play around, if it, the thing about so. Well, I won't go down a rabbit hole, but good Peach players, it looks like they're literally glitching the game out and no other character can do Really? That. Yeah, it's wild. I'll send you some videos after. It's pretty kooky. I'll put them in the Discord, actually, even better. Right, right. It is interesting because, yeah, it does refer to him as he on the Wikipedia page, but then also has a whole section where it's like, Kirby is not binary. So <laughs> that's really well, interesting to me. you know... Sometimes non-binary people use gendered pronouns, and that's also okay. But yeah, oh yeah, obviously I have no issue with that. But yeah. I'm just—I think um, Nintendo's just trying to play catch up a little bit. Right, right. Well, Kirby, I mean, like, literally has no gender-defining features at all. Right, Kirby is a piece of bubble gum, essentially. Right. right, like, if there was ever a time you could not assign gender and never have a backlash, even from the biggest idiots. It does feel like, you know, a bubblegum shaped character is your go-to right yeah. there. So it's literally just a spear with right. big eyeballs. Right. Yep. Right. And also proven fact, everyone of every gender likes food. Right. It's degree. true. Yes. It's at some Pe- point. People yeah. eat food. So, you know, playing my son has gotten into the new Pokemon games, like Scarlet and Violet sword and shield. I think Scarlet and Violet's what he's playing right now. And, uh, even when I was playing Pokemon Legend of Pokemon uh, Arceus, like that very much many of the characters, I think because they're done in the Japanese style, right? Many of them uh, appear gender fluid by normal standards that you would expect, right? Yeah. Like and I by... mean, I think it's in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. There's even there's one of the I think it's one of the gym leaders is literally just color coded to be the trans flag. That's amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. I forget the name of the character, it. but I saw it when the game was going around and everyone was like, cool. uh, look at this character. What? Nice. And it was very cool. All right. We should talk about an actual topic. here. Oh yeah. An actual topic. <laughs> oh my God. Right. I was just having so much fun. That was a great it. conversation. That was a great conversation, but I'm going to be the, be the Debbie Downer and say that we should, um, <laughs> we yeah. just have so much fun. Um, right. Yeah. So that I have a particular thing in mind for this one. Awesome. Um, there, so uh, you know, as you know, I'm in a bunch of communities. I'm the moderator of a couple spaces, and there mm-hmm. is, um, you know, I've given a lot of people a lot of advice on Uh-oh. game design things. Uh oh, yeah, I've been set free. Everyone, uh, run, cower in fear. Um, 
and there's, you know, and I've, I just, you know, I always reflect on what I'm saying and who I'm saying it to and how and, you know, all this other stuff. That's just like mm -hmm. my general life. And I always want to be supporting and encouraging to other designers. And there's this piece of advice that I've been given that I've been giving to others a lot that the goal is to encourage them to not be afraid to try stuff. Yeah. And I've been reflecting on some of the nuance of it. And I would really like your take on it specifically, because I think that you will have a lot of good insight on it. So the thing that I say, um, and I normally like cap off a playtest session with this. It's like, hey, you know, um, as long as you don't have a deadline, be it external because you're working for a publisher or whatever, um, or internal because you're just sick of working on it, just try out everything. Every idea that you have, I say this mm -hmm. especially to newer designers, um, I just like try out every idea that you have, just the throw it all at the wall, see what sticks. It's a really good way to like grind out experience points and level up as a designer kind of a thing. And uh, inspiration is cyclical. So you will, you will be inspired to try a thing and then that will inspire you to try other things. And then that's, you know, that's my general design process is like, I get inspired, I try stuff out, I get inspired by those things and eventually I land on a game. Um, a final mm -hmm. version of a game. Um, and so, yeah, the thing that I have been thinking about is kind of in regards to time management. And I'm seeing more and more like as I try to understand how other people's lives go generally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking that like my advice, while well-meaning and encouraging, is not always practical. Uh, right. from a time management standpoint, because I am someone who uh, I do not date people. I do not have kids. I have a part-time job. And then the rest of my life is board game world. Essentially. I like play mm -hmm. games and yeah, like games are my, um, what is it? The, like, I'm trying to think of the specific term, the like autistic hyper-focus thing, the restrictive interest games are my restrictive interest. Mm -hmm. um, and not everyone has the same brain. I do. turns out, it turns out I'm the only one with my brain. And so I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, how would people in other situations handle advice like this? I think of my friend Jim, who's in Break My Game, and he has a very strict routine and only has like an hour or two a week for game design. Mm -hmm. And I think about you, like you are going to, you had a career, you're going to school now, you'll have a new career that's mm -hmm. part-time or maybe even full-time, and you have a family and kids and all these right. other commitments and so. Right, right. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. All that? Um, gosh. I, I mean, I think it's certainly well-intentioned and not incorrect advice. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the reality is that a lot of us, like I, I know I can speak for myself and say that I have to be incredibly focused about what I think my next, you know, step will be with a game and the changes, you know, I, I'm, I'm very frustrated if I waste a play test. Right. You know, if I do a play test to get no new information, um, Interesting. um, I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You got to be more efficient is what you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, when you have less time, right, you have to be more efficient with the time you have, which means being a little more decisive, which is not a strong suit for me. I'm incredibly indecisive about mm -hmm. a lot of things. Um, you know, so for me, the idea to say, like, I'm going to just try this and then I'm going to try that and I'm going to explore all these different ideas. Um, I've done that in the past. Um, mm -hmm. And what I end up with are a lot of loose threads of games that I don't get back to. Right. Oh. Um, and that used to bother me a lot. Now I jot it down. And basically, I know that when the inspiration strikes, like you did mention, I can go back and I can work on that game again. Right. But I think the danger is when you, at least for me, when I get too many ideas out there, you know, sometimes there starts to be this growing guilt about the fact that I've got all these ideas out there, but have not completed a large number of them, right? Mm. Um, and so that, for me, can be a real compounding factor in feeling like I'm not getting anything done um, and then feel like I'm trying none of the things, right? <laughs> Instead of all of the things, I'm trying none of right. them. Yeah. Um, I have another thought on that completely outside of that, but let's tackle this one first and see, like, what are your thoughts to that? I, I had a couple things pop in my brain as you were saying stuff. I think there's mm -hmm. definitely something to be said for, um, and this is something that I struggle with 
less so in game design. I think game design is the one place where I don't struggle with this. But in my life, I definitely do. If I have too many things to do, I will do none of the things because yeah. I'm so overwhelmed. 100%. 100%. Real hard and to I, be in college with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I dropped out of college. Um, that and I had no friends. But that's a whole that's a different story. Um so yeah, so that was one of the things that I thought of. That's super interesting about like the the mental tax of having too many possibilities is you know going back to the limitation breeds creativity that we touched on earlier. Limitation is not bad um, unless it is. Sometimes it is. Usually it's quite good for your creativity. Usually limitation when it comes to design is in creativity is quite freeing. Yes, honestly, I yes. think. I agree for sure. I do a lot better when I have constraints to work within. And I think that's like the main thing of why I'm a top-down designer. Oh, that's a term that I've said a whole bunch of times. I wonder if I should define that for the audience. I think you have before, but you haven't on this episode. So yeah, yeah. Just throw it out there. Cool. Yeah. So top-down and bottom-up are two different like main ways to approach design. These are terms coined by Mark Rosewater. Um, but they are takes on like, are you a mechanics first or a flavor first designer? Um, and so top down and bottom up refer specifically to a magic card where the top half of a magic card, I mean, it has a little bit of rules information, but it's basically the name and the art. So it's essentially what is the flavor of the card? Uh, and then the bottom half is the text, which is what the card does mm-hmm. when you play it. Um, and so when you're designing top down, you're going flavor first. Okay, I want this character to throw fireballs. How is a fireball represented in my game mechanically? Right, so you right. start with fireball and then you go to mechanics. Bottom up would be the reverse where it's like, I have this thing and it's a big damage and it deals splash damage. What is a good fit for that? Maybe an ice storm, maybe a fireball, maybe a meteor, something like that. Um, right. So yes, yeah, so that's top down versus bottom up. And I think ultimately, so back to the previous thing that we that I took the pin out of, I think ultimately um, the limitation breeds creativity and the limitation is quite good. Um, I think is where my top-down design brain stems from, actually, which I didn't think about critically until this moment. So that's cool. That's what these Um, discussions are for. That's what these discussions are for. It's true. Um, I also had this thought, this is a little bit like my brain veered into a new streak a little bit, but I was like, oh, I also realized that my feedback is stemming, you know, my feedback is stemming from my own perspective. And I, only until very recently have designed games that are generally shorter and have smaller like component footprint, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm, mm because, you know, fight sequence is a whole bunch of cards, but it's only cards. Yeah. Um, You know, it's like 120 something unique cards, but it's only cards. There's nothing else going on there. Elemistic is a nine card game. So that's really easy to try out all the ideas in, you know? So I, um, that's another thing that's important about perspective when it comes to giving feedback. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also, I wanted to expand upon this. Well, can I, can I give one more thought on that though? So, um, I think a huge danger and this, you covered some of this, but the, to me, the biggest danger with giving that advice is for new game designers, because Mm -hmm. I think that in general, new game designers, I don't want to say all of them because everybody's brains are different, but. I think that in general, newer game designers can sometimes find themselves um, flailing a bit when it comes to Mm. try this, try this, try that, try this, right? And when they try all the things, right, or try too many of the things, um, then I think that what you run into is that they'll just continually add to their game, right? Oh, I should add this. Oh, I can add that. And and I think that consistently a problem mm-hmm. that newer game designers have, and I had this for a very long time and sometimes still do, honestly, um, is that every problem is solved by adding a mechanic to fix it or mm-hmm. adding a clarification or adding, yeah. you know, and, and as we know that most of the times problems are solved by removing or making trade-offs, right? Mm-hmm. You pull a rule or you trade off a rule to a different rule, but that adding is, I think, is probably the least useful thing you can do. Though there are times where it's exactly what you have to do, right? And that's just how that is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that there's a huge risk in that with a newer game designer of causing them accidentally to spin their wheels 
again, that said, I don't think it's terrible advice. I think I might frame it as, hey, make a list of all the ideas you've got and all the different things you're thinking of, and then try to pick one that you might think, you know, might tighten this up or fix this issue. Um, and if that doesn't work, then go back to the drawing board and, and, and try the next one, right? Um, you know, the next most likely candidate. Um, because yeah. that lets them get it out of their head and achieves the goal, like you said, of, hey, later I could come back to this and find it and maybe do something else with it. But in the yeah. short term, it does not overwhelm them in a way where they can't keep up with it. So, yeah, yeah. That's so that, that's my really thoughts on point. that. That's a really good point. And that's, um, yeah, going back to my own perspective thing, I'm very good about keeping all those in my brain and not getting overwhelmed because to me, they're just like cool sparks of joy that when I look at them, but I can definitely, I, and I know for a fact, I mean, because you told me, but also from past conversations <laughs> that uh, people can get overwhelmed by that. So that's another really interesting right, right. and important thing. And I, I also wonder if there's an element of, instead of car encouraging people to like, it, I wonder if there's a, a reword that could be helpful. Like instead of encouraging people to try everything um encouraging people to switch things out for other things and i wonder if that is a, mm -hmm, a good mm -hmm. direction yeah and i mean one of the things i've told my mentees that i've worked with is you know um don't make more than one important change at a time right do the real a b testing thing right mm -hmm. um and i've had some of them come back and say well i want to change these two things for a test and i'm like yep that first one is your a b and the second one is this little mini thing that shouldn't correlate back to the AB, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that with newer designers, it can be hard, even with us, right? Sometimes it can be hard mm -hmm. to understand what changing one system will do to the entire game. We can make our best guesses. And when you've worked on a lot of games, I think that becomes a little more secondhand to say, right. oh, I bet if I change this, that's going to mess with that part of the economy, which, you know, uh, means that I shouldn't test this other piece out, right? But there are some times, I think, when definitively you can say these are unrelated i'm going to test them both right at the same time yeah um, i mean I, i'm just a chaos gremlin and i just make all the changes i want i know that maddie schrader does the same thing we've talked about this right, before right. maddie and i are just like what if uh we just do everything we want all the time and it's like right, yeah, all right. right. that's that's how our brains work yep. specifically and there were there are some designers i've talked to i don't remember who they are off the top of my head plus i probably shouldn't call them out but like some where they <laughs> will test something and then they're like, all right, well, I think it's time to do a whole big rewrite now and just start over, right? And make mm. all these changes. I, I actually have worked with designers like that um, where kind of their method of designing is to say, well, this wasn't perfect, so let's rethink everything, right? Um, yeah. That is can a be trap, hard. <laughs> yeah. right? More times hard. than not. Yeah, that's going to go in a direction that's going to you know, on, on we actually, I can say like when I was working with or still am working with Hannah uh, Schaefer on um, if you find this, our long time coming RPG, mm -hmm. you know, we expected it to be pretty quick. And then we ended up kind of tearing it down and rebuilding it back up and feeling really good about where it went. And then because that went so well, the next time we had a problem, we tore it down and built it back up and then mm. it lost some magic. And we thought, well, that's not good. So, but then it was like, well, how far do we back this up then? You know, and, and that was, and what we ended up finding was we ended up nowhere near what our original goal was and had to come back and say, we have missed what we were going for here. How do we fix that? And, yeah. and we have, you know, we've went back and we've dived in and, and I think we've fixed most of that. Um, but it is, it's easy to do that if you keep making huge drastic changes every time. But that said, for some people, it works. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is tangentially related, but I think is an interesting thing to touch on. Um, there are plenty of designers that I've seen, some friends of ours, that have like grail games where they've done this a whole bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Like kind of tear down and rebuild. Yes, I, I've done it myself. Um, I'm a little less precious with anything that isn't fight sequence, but also fight sequence is right. almost done now. So I don't, so I get to be precious, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. but we have some friends, um, where I, I almost wish I could just be like, Hey, you have, you have tried too many things. I think it would benefit you to just like go totally hands off for a while and give it to a developer 
and see what a developer does. And that's a, that's a different subject of like the joys of having someone else develop your game because it can the be joys hard of making to... someone else do it. <laughs> yes. The joys of making someone else do it. No, no, no. It's uh cause you can get too into your own projects and too into mm-hmm. your own heads. And I've, I've definitely been there. And I, I think every single designer ever at least once with at least one project has been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, I'm realizing, you know, tying it back to the try everything, That's a, that can be another danger of just mm-hmm. trying out all of the ideas is that you can, you know, you were talking about like spinning wheels and stuff like that. And it's not just new designers that can do that. It can be like firmly entrenched designers, friends of ours that have been working on games for long, long times. So yeah, yeah. I think about Maya and I think about like if it would benefit her to... um hand it off to someone and maybe that would help her with her design process uh and i'm seeing that this is maybe the danger of trying everything one of the pitfalls that could happen mm-hmm. yeah that can be tough the, Maya would be an interesting interesting experiment with that because she really knows what she wants with scars of ether and it's mm-hmm. made these really interesting changes and turns and you know um so the idea of saying you know what, i'm going to step away and let somebody else do that. I mean, I think that if you're going to do that, the big thing is you have to prepare yourself for a couple scenarios. One is that they are going to take your game and do something with it that is completely not what you want, in which case you're going to have to just ignore everything they've done uh, and move forward. Uh, Two is that they hit some middle ground where you're like, oh, I, I see what you did. Some of this is all right. Some of this is not what I want. And you're going to pick and choose if possible. And then three is that they're going to just, you know, crush it for you, um, which is great. But you also have to know, like, are you okay with someone else crushing it for you in a game that's not signed? Um, you know, I it, it just can – I can see how that can feel alienating, like it's not yours anymore. And so I, I know for me that would be a, a big concern for me with that, that I would feel – alienated i'd be like the mama bird who doesn't want the baby back right (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's not true i'm experiencing something a little bit like that with my games that have been signed where i i had a moment and it ended up working out just fine but i had a moment where after a play test i was like okay this is the character and like I, I prefaced so at the start and the end of this playtest, I was like, so it's for fight sequence. And I was like, all right, these two characters are finished. And I want to show them to you to verify that they're finished. And I got back, I don't think this one is finished. And I said, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> because that's the sort of thing of like you know, I still don't have the actual physical contract, but something I negotiated is that for fight sequence specifically, I have final say on the cards. And uh-huh. so it can be really tough when the developer who is working with me on the game is pushing back against like what my vision is. Um, and that is a danger of working with the developers. It turns out everything is a double-edged sword in game design. Welcome to game design. Um, everything is, has pros uh, and cons. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, but yeah. That's a, a bit of a digression, but I I definitely see where you're coming from about like how it could change things for the worse. Uh, like, yes, it can alleviate the pressure, but is the stress of it coming back not in line with your vision worth the handoff and the benefits that that could entail? Right. It's tricky. I think for myself, you know, in the last few games that I've signed, I used to always, do you want to be part of development? Yes. What can I do? How can I do it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I had the really bad experience where I did a bunch of development hours, worked really hard with the company. And then in the end, they said, oh, this game's not for us anymore. Mm. Um, and, you know, that was a burn that did not heal quickly. Um, mm. And while I'm not ticked about it anymore, I actually got to have a really good conversation with the publisher about that. Um, I think at Gen Con maybe or somewhere, one of the conventions. Mm. We got to have Recently. a chat about it. Yeah, so it wasn't too long ago. And it felt really good to have that combo. Um, now, that said, I have noticed since then that I've been more willing when a publisher says, do you want to work on this for development? I've said, Keep me in the loop. Let me know if you have questions. But no, I, I think I'm good. Um, and <laughs> yeah. and really, 
here's here's why with that two two big things for me one uh three we'll say actually one is time right i have less time now if you say jason you do all of development with the game the game's not going to get finished hands down that's what's going to (laughs) happen two um i think being burned by that situation saying i'm hands off on development just fyi me and let me know if there's any questions i can answer alleviates that feeling of am i going to put this work in to have to fight with someone right Mm -hmm. um like you know you're experiencing there where somebody says this and you say that and you know uh somebody has to have the final say and it's debatable who that is depending on you know the situation um and fighting that good fight and losing is not is not always fun um neither is fighting that good fight and winning sometimes that's not great but then the third reason really is to say that i personally am not a developer i don't Developing is not something I enjoy. Uh, right. I enjoy designing, playtesting, but the actual nitty gritty of development, that's not me. Mm. Um, so, you know, between those three things, it, it be, it's become very logical for me to step back and say, no, I don't want to do this part. I'm not going to unless um, you really want me to. And, and the other big thing is now, I think with any publisher that said, we want you to do development, I would say, awesome. Let's talk about how you're going to pay me separately from the game to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if they would pay an in-house developer or hire a developer, there's literally no reason they can't pay you. If, if you're doing it for free, um, you're being cheated out of, you know, income for sure uh, that you should be getting for your work. And maybe, maybe you're okay with that. And if you're super okay with that, I think that's on you, but, I would caution you to say this. I would caution you with this. And that is that when you agree to do it for free, what you're doing is you're setting an expectation that people will do it for free. Mm -hmm. Um, Much like, you know, artwork or graphic design or a million other things where, you know, you really should be getting paid for your work. Um, And by setting that expectation, you're doing a disservice to those who don't have the time and couldn't do it. Uh, but would do it if they were getting paid because then they could afford to do it. Um, it, it. I liken it back to asking for an advance on games. I don't need to get an advance on games. I like to get an advance on games, but I had another designer say to me at one point, we should be asking for advances on games because usually when we ask, people say yes. And there are people who are afraid to ask or haven't been in the industry long enough to where they'll necessarily say, yeah, sure, uh, we'll give you an advance. Um, and it depends wholly on the company, but right. that we should be out there pushing for those things for others that might have a harder time pushing on those. And that made a lot of sense to me, you know, um, and I've to date never had a publisher. I had one publisher say, we don't typically do advances. And my co-designer said, listen, I think I can give them to give us an advance if you want me to twist their arm. Um, and I, knowing the company, knowing everyone involved, I said, you know what? I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a different situation. And I knew that me asking for an advance and fighting for that was not going to change the way the company did it. Um, And because it was a co-design, I said, that's fine. I'll just, that's fine. You know? Um, So yeah, that was a lot, but I think it's just a balancing act of decisions there. Yeah. Um, It's uh it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of thoughts on the publisher designer relationship now that I'm in it and I've seen a lot of contracts. Um, and I think that that's a whole different episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I oh, think God. that, yeah, there's, you know, when I look back to, and this is something we've talked about in the discord, but I don't know that I've ever said it on the podcast. Maybe I have. When I look back to things like the writer strike and stuff yeah. and you hear the writers explaining how they're paid and how things have worked for them and how much work they do that is unpaid. Um, the only difference between us and them is that they have a union, right? Obviously mm-hmm. the work is slightly different, but the idea of a bunch of a work cre- without pay in a creative endeavor um, where you could put two years of work in as requested by a company and get nothing and have nothing to show for it. Um, and, you know, those games can pass their prime at that point where like now you can't really even show them to anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of stuff happens a lot. You know, I, 
I think the key difference is in this, maybe this is a hot and bad take, but I, I feel like my biggest fear is that if as designers, we said, we are not going to deal, deal with this anymore. They would say, okay, we'll do it ourselves. Right. And most of your consumers would not know the difference. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have the ability to shut down the industry by saying we're going to strike. It just, it's just not going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, graphic designers could do that. Um, artists could do that. Well, for now. Um, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other episode (laughs) that we've covered somewhat, but we have a lot more covering to do of that in the future for sure. Um, yeah, that's my soapbox on that. I have a lot of thoughts on the whole strike thing and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I've lots. been thinking about it too. It's um, I my thoughts are still in the oven on that, but I'm generally of of the same mindset. But it's uh, it's tough yeah. for me. I think I'm purposefully not letting myself dive too deep on it while I'm still negotiating contracts, um, which is kind of backwards. But I think the thing is, is that we're far along enough in the negotiations that if I were to hard pivot to talk about what all my true feelings are, I would get rejected outright. Um, so I think that's what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think the thing we have to think about there, and we, I think we should absolutely do an episode on this at some point is we know what's f- quote unquote fair, right? Like mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, because fairness is I think somewhat subjective um I mean I think there's some objective portions to it but right you're with me on that right that like what we feel is fair what you feel is fair very well may not feel what I feel is fair even right. though we're doing the same things but then there's what we're willing to accept what we're willing to let go what a publisher is willing to accept what they're willing to let go and industry-wide whether or not we can actually make the change right so I know mm-hmm. some of the stuff you and I have talked about goes around, this is how it works, but this is probably how it should work. Yeah. And that, that gap oh, is yeah. sometimes uncrossable. Like it is a divide that you cannot in the current state get across. And that that's really difficult because, you know, knowing what would be fairer, fairer and make fairer. more sense, sir, um, <laughs> you know, um, is tough knowing what it is, but understanding that companies aren't going to do it because, you know, they have a lot of reasons uh, and I'm not going to get into those on this episode because I think some yeah. of them are valid. Um, I, I do as well. I, I mean, my very short version is that I think board games should cost 50% more and designers should get signing bonuses and an hourly rate if they're doing development. That's my big hot take. Yeah. And my big and hot think, take is that sounds great, but yeah, people will buy those games pro- probably. So Right. I, I mean, well, yeah, I it's I think that, you know, unless we make changes, the public will not make like think about the change. Ah, I, it, right, I have right. I have trouble wording this, but, um, you know, it's like prices go up for things all the time. And the prices of board games have stayed relatively stagnant um, for a long time, even it's though true. the industry yeah. is booming. Yeah. And it's it's wild that that has occurred because publishers are making less and less money. I am not trying to advocate like take more money from publishers it's i think that publishers should make more money so that way designers can make more money yeah i don't disagree Um, with that i I think one of the issues like i've run into this multiple times and i tell people what do you do why i design board games like literally everyone thinks it's rad well yes they think it's rad but the other thing i hear a lot is i guess i never thought about the fact that there were people that did that like yeah but you play games yeah but it just Mm -hmm. didn't occur to me that people actually like like design them. Like I mean, where <laughs> yeah. do you think they come from is always my thought. <laughs> yeah. But like it's hard to ask the that question because on the doorway of the publisher. You know, yeah, right. So I think they're just like <laughs> some marketing team just puts this together, right? Um, I think that's probably what they're thinking is there's like a team of people that do other stuff at the company that also throw these ideas together, right? The idea mm-hmm. that there, you know, are people like us sitting out here in our houses designing these games and then selling them to publishers is beyond them. So the idea that they would pay more money to benefit us is probably a foreign concept to a lot of people. Um, And that's not their fault. That's just because, you know, one thing we need is we need mass market games to have names on boxes, right? 
I think every game should have a designer and an artist listed on the box. Yes, um, I agree. Why, Someone why was not? arguing against you know? that in BMG recently, and I was like, "Why? Why is like this the hill that you're dying on? Why is this the hill that you're dying on? Just because you don't care about names, you think names should not be on board game boxes because you right, think it's right. distracting from the box right. cover art? Like, how often are you looking at that? Right, uh, right. Well, and I think thing. it's it's funny because you know you can hear people who are super experienced fight against that. I mean, I I know that like a, a boss that I used to have, uh, one of the companies I worked for before. I had a really stupid title. And for what I was doing, I was like, this title is awful. Like this doesn't describe what I'm doing. People are confused by it. Here's what I think the title should be. And he said, listen, man, titles don't actually matter. They're all, they're all BS. It doesn't matter. And I said, you're the CIO or the chief, you know, information officer of the company. Of course you would say that because you have a title that actually describes what you do. Right. You know, and, um, and in myself and several others on your team don't, and that's confusing to people and to us, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, but, but it, it, it matters, does, right? It does matter. People right. see it. He people was also the one things. that would be like, it doesn't matter who has an office or who has a you know certain area. People should just deal with that. And I'm like, you literally have uh, a huge corner office with all this swanky <laughs> stuff in it. And you're going to be like, oh, it doesn't matter. That's it, easy to say it doesn't matter from the side of it not mattering to you. Right. I was about um, to say, yeah, you hang out in my cubicle. Right. I'll stay in your office. Right. We do that for a week, and then right. you come back and tell me yeah. how you feel. People don't need to make millions of dollars a year. Uh, they should be fine with, like, you know, like, well, like 50 grand. Like, okay, thank you, Mr. Millionaire. That's awesome. I'm glad Good that you Lord. have that take, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, that was a whole digression. <laughs> but anyways, long story short, I, th- I think there are a lot of things in the industry that need to be fixed. But I don't understand why people would ever advocate for not putting names on boxes. I don't get that. It's like, a, that's it's silly. weird. It's wild. Like, I want to know who designed my game. That would be like, I want movies, but can we stop putting credits at the end? Yeah. I don't need to know who worked on this, you know? Like, <laughs> like, oh, also, no more actors' names on the posters. I get that's not the same thing. But, like, you know, none of that. <laughs> nope. Don't want to know. I just want to go and see it and have no idea who did it, right? Right. Just surprise oh, me. One of my favorite things that a friend of mine has said, I, I mean, I haven't seen a movie in theaters in many, many, many years, but I had this really cool experience um, last time I did where uh, it, it, there were four of us and I was on the right side and the mm-hmm. two people on the left left were starting to get up as the credits started. And the person who was to my direct left, like literally pulled them back into the seats and was like, no, these people worked so hard making this movie for you and you were going to read their names and you were going to respect them. I was like, that's rad as my, hell. My, uh, that's, I grew up with that. My dad made me do that as well. And um, I, I'll be honest now, the only reason I sit through credits most of the time now is because there might be an end scene. But still, um, <laughs> that was a smart way that they tricked yeah. us. Hey, maybe there's a scene at the end I of the gotcha. credits. Usually the movie ends, I whip my finger, phone out and way. I Google, is there an end credit scene? Oh, okay, no, we can go, y'all. It's all right. Let's get out of here. <laughs> I got to pee. Um, um, those are called stingers, by the way. In case you were wondering. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I thought I was sharing a fun fact. But well, it is a fun know. fact. I just went to film school. So I'm aware <laughs> <of this laughs> I see <laughs> that's very much uh, like uh, explain to the expert, the subject that you're a novice in. That you were actually in. unaware of it. So it's a okay. I didn't know um, you went to film school. Yeah. It was a whole thing. It was a long time ago. And the yesteryear of your life. Yeah. yeah. 20 plus years ago. So, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, so anyways, um, so anyways, I feel like you probably should pitch a game at this point. Is that what we're <laughs> going to do here <laughs> from our long meandering discussion? I feel like we discussed I mean, all the things. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's kind of the joy of our episodes. I, at least I'd like to hope is that we meander. I mean, I know it's a common thing on the podcast, but I know that I especially am yeah, prone to no, meandering. I, I like meandering too, because I think on subjects like this, being able to draw from all the things that kind of come up as part of the discussion yeah, nothing is, is really isolated. important. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we don't want to be too rigid and stick with the, uh, you know, stick with the exactly on task unless there's a reason. Like some of them, you know, um, there is a, you know, a lot of the episodes Julio and I have done where we're like, we're going to talk about X going down the list of things we're going to talk about actually is the best way to do the episode. But mm-hmm. with conversations like this, I feel like we have to draw on a lot of things and that just makes it prone for us to wander. Yeah. yeah. Inspiration is, okay. is cyclical, like I said before. You you did say that. I remember. It's one of my, I don't know, catchphrases, I guess now. It's one of my like design tenets of creativity. Inspiration is cyclical. Mm-hmm. I got that from improv, actually. Um, 
uh, all the time, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, all the time, all the time when I was going through improv classes, my fellow students would ask the teachers how to get better at improv. And the answer was do or watch anything that isn't improv. And that will inspire your improv. It's true. And I was like, yeah, damn. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, so I'm going to pitch a game. Uh, how much do you know about graffiti culture? Um, I know that um people uh do graffiti and that uh in that it is beautiful artwork i'm a huge fan of graffiti uh Mm -hmm. yeah when it's not like just done to you know what i mean like sometimes it's done just to like ruin something but i think tagging yeah like there are just truly amazing graffiti artists out Mm -hmm. there uh i enjoy watching trains go past uh with all the graffiti on them (laughs) so that is a certain kind of magic, yes. The yeah, fact that really they is. got there and tagged the train. Um, so yes, uh, my there's a game idea. This is an early stage design. It is a reimagining of a game that previously had a kind of boring sci-fi theme that I then turned into a more interesting but still sci-fi, and I'm not really into sci-fi, like three-lane battler. It's a two-player competitive game because why would I do anything different? Actually, I have a bunch of games that are different now, but you know, go back to my roots, right? Mm-hmm. Um So it's a three-lane game where it used to have a sci-fi theme. And the idea is you are like a meeple and you go in one of the three lanes. And on your turn, you can either stay in your lane or move to the empty lane. So you and your opponent can't be on the same lane. So you're either attacking A or B while your opponent is on C. And it's your opponent's turn and they can either stay on C or go to whichever lane is empty. Uh, And the idea is that you can set up defenses in any lane and you can only attack the lane that you're in. And the defenses are Mm -hmm. also engine pieces. So you're building like powerful engines that spike your power, but then they get attacked because it's like literally the shield that you have gives you this cool static ability. When the shield breaks, the ability goes away. So that's the sort of structure of the game. And it used to have a sci-fi theme. Uh, It used to be like robots in a used to be called nexus robot arena so let me tell you the fact that i didn't get to that name first makes me mad that was my like grail game that i put on the shelf uh and then a different board game came out named nexus i'm like god damn all right well right. i can't use that name anyway um so that's a that's a fun little a little fun fact quote unquote fun so it used to be this arena battler and then i turned it into you know still sci-fi computers all that good stuff three lane battler and then i was talking to a friend of mine brainstorming other themes and he mentioned the line of games, um, what is it, Lethal League Blaze, uh, which is inspired by Jet Set Radio. And he's like, I'm getting strong, like, what if you did like a like a strong Jet Set Radio vibe, all this other stuff. So we started talking mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and that led me to the theme of graffiti artists. Um, so there's a term in graffiti uh, called toys. Um, mm-hmm. That is how you attack other graffiti artists. It's a it's a disrespectful move. Disrespectful move. If I tag my handle on a wall and you tag your handle right above it, that's toys. It's tag over your stuff. Well, it's it's a it's a little more vulgar when uh, when it's set out in the world. But tag over your stuff is what it means. Right, right, right. Um, and it is how you attack other graffiti artists. And so I'm trying to think of this concept, and I need to do more research to see like is this appropriate culturally like for the graffiti culture kind of a mm-hmm, thing um mm-hmm. so i don't know that but this is where i'm at right now is uh turning it into graffiti and so the health of your like back wall because you can attack any lane it's your graffiti mural that someone is editing um and you can't you know be in the same lane as the other person because you're trying to graffiti on each other's right. surfaces not attack each other directly. Basically, I'm trying to come up with another like non-violent competitive theme. And so that's why I'm really into this idea of graffiti because uh, for the most part, graffiti culture is non-violent. The violence is in the artwork kind of a thing. Um, and so, and I'm trying to, you know, porting the defenses and augments and all this other stuff from the sci-fi theme has been very interesting um that is that might be a thing where like i go a little like high-tech fantasy kind of thing with the graffiti Mm -hmm. thing and not not real world graffiti i'm still thinking about that but that is the the general gist so basically you have a backline health value that is that's like your pool of health 
And if you're attacked undefended in any of the three lanes, it's it's reduce reducing that health. Um, and and yeah, that's that's the gist of the game. You deploy things to block in the lanes, and those are also how you build an engine. Um, and since your since your opponent can't go in your lane, you can build just on your lane to have the engine part, but not the defense part. Mm -hmm. Or you can play a little riskier and build the engine out further because each lane can only have one defense and one augment thing. So at most, you can only put two engine pieces behind you, but you have six slots total. But if you deploy not behind you, it's at risk. Right, right. That's really interesting. That is um, that is not where I thought you were going with toys. I was like, oh, so it's going to be like wind up toys, like moving <laughs> each other and stuff. And then... Nope. Toys like, is no, an acronym. We're, we're tagging. Yeah, that is mm -hmm. really, really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I hope to see more of that one. Yeah, it's fun. It will. Yeah, I mean, look forward to me talking about it more probably next year because yeah. now I have you know I have Elemistic and Fight Sequence in development. I'm making the Secret IP game, and I am pitching two games at uh, that i've both talked to i've talked about both of them hearts of sin uh which i'm now co-designing with maya which has been an awesome experience yeah yeah um, i remember you talking about that on the thing the yeah um yeah so hearts of sin and forging a legacy i'm pitching at pax unplugged and so i have five games like in the docket in my field of view right now um so toys i'm probably gonna work on like next spring or something excellent excellent oh well this has been quite the episode back and forth yeah. a lot of stuff here so yeah we uh, covered I, a lot of things yeah i, mean, I that's, appreciate it that's it just fun. what we do that was fun yeah it was a good time fun as always so um all right listeners well i hope you enjoyed that as well um if you want to get in touch with us of course you can go to building game podcast at gmail.com uh that's nope, that's our email list. You can email us to building game podcast <laughs> or you can go to building the game podcast.com. There you can find a link yeah. to our Discord, join our meetup. Our meetup is getting wild of late. We had 15 mm. people, no, 16 people last night, Woo! including some new people. Uh, I love it. I love it so much. It's um it's so inspiring and fun. And uh, we're having a great time doing it, and we're still managing to do it within 30 minutes, you know, pretty much. Wow. So yeah. It's, uh, we're gonna get to the point I, where everyone has a 45 second update i mean so look people. at it this way there could be 30 of us and we could still do a minute each um you know so i think right now we're, we're pretty set at two minutes now um mm -hmm. last night i set it at 2 15 and then a bunch of extra people showed up so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll probably do about two minutes every time is is pretty standard now um, which is plenty of time many of us don't take up all our time so uh i say many of us like i don't i talk forever i so, I yeah. talk way too long. I say I'm you honest... and I are the bad examples of that because <laughs> yeah. we take up all our time. I'm honestly considering just only doing text updates, but still showing up to hear what other people say. Right. And you know what? That's something some other people do because of, you know, not being able to talk and stuff during the thing. And that's fantastic. We love mm -hmm. that. We just like to see people's faces. You know, we had somebody show up last night and said, I'm not going to give an update. I'm just going to just going to hang out, you know, um, and that's Sick. awesome nothing wrong with that love nothing it. wrong with that we love we'll that see your faces so all right well hey thanks a lot and uh we'll see you next time i think yeah yeah so I listeners so. if you would like to see us next time every next time or i guess here is, you don't get to see us uh you should keep coming back every single week and until that next time i just mentioned good night Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.